Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and I am joined as always by Will One Hamstring Murden. How did you go tonight, mate? I know you had a training session. I know you've got a grand final on the weekend. Tell me you made it through. I, I got through tonight's session. I did what I needed to do. Uh, it was a bit light on, so it was a few run-throughs, but check the right boxes for, the, for this stage for where I need to be. Okay, so if you, I, I love when we put percentages on stuff. So if you had to put a percentage number on your likely availability for this grand final, where are we sitting right now? 98%. Oh, you were always going to aim high there, weren't you? Oh, yeah. I'm up, I, yeah, I'm, I'm confident I can get it done. So I'm, uh, I'm back. It's like coronavirus it. or gastro are the only two things keeping you out. Even then, like, fuck it. I'll spread like it. A nuclear holocaust wouldn't stop you, I don't think. You're right. I'm excited. It's grand final week. Okay. Um, yeah. How are you feeling about that actually? Because normally that's nervy and. Uh, I think it's been a bit weird because it's all been about like this fucking issue I've got going on here and trying to get myself right for that. So haven't really actually thought about too much of the game. It's just preparation yeah. and trying to get the body right. Obviously, you've got your retirement plans in order. <laughs> you get chaired off the ground, and and that'll be it. I'm assuming. Oh, look, it's sad that we're now at that point, like getting towards the back end and people ask that question. I'm like, all right, mate, fuck off. Fair, but fuck off. You are one pulled calf muscle away from (laughs) hanging the boots up, I reckon. Yeah, unfortunately. All right, we have got a big show tonight. Uh, It is later than we would normally like, and we're actually going to get out of the blocks far earlier in future recap episodes. But this is recap for week number two. So we're going to hit all the all the games or most of the games that we can get to on the FBS level, of which there is a significantly uh, smaller number than there usually is. So we're going to get to all those. We're going to head around college football, and we'll Will's going to talk us through. This is one of his little babies that he's big on. So uh, we'll get you involved in all this, all the information, all the quick news around college football. We'll hit. We'll deep dive on a few other bits and pieces that have cropped up we've got the aussies in actions we're going to have a look at some things you should rewind and go back and have a look on if you have missed stuff youtube is a great resource some helmet stickers and then we're going to go and see how much money we tipped down the drain in on the punt as well so we've got a massive show so let's get steamrolling along firstly we'll talk us through this segment you're so so big on this 360 view of college football. Why is this so important to you? Yes, no. So new year, a few new segments. You and I uh, had a bit of a brainstorm in the off-season, come up with some new things. So those of you who are familiar listeners will uh, remember some of the stuff that we've got. And we, we wanted to bring some fresh gear into it. So the concept here that I would like to push out to you as our loyal listeners is ESPN... Oh, College football 360, where... ESPN? <laughs> Wait, hang on, dude. You just, are we just blatantly ripping off... Is this where you've got this from? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> if anyone has a legal background, am I in trouble here? Is there potentially... Tr- no, we're good. I'm, I'm hearing in my ear that we're good. So okay. producer, producer Abby says we're covered. Uh, I want to... And I'm off to a cracking start here, but I want to... Get to you guys everything that happened in the weekend in under 360 seconds. So I want to hit all of the big points so that at the end of the day, if, you, if you've only got like a small window of time, but you want to be up to date, you want to impress all of your friends with your outstanding knowledge of the American football and in particular the college game, all you're going to need to do is listen to the first few minutes of our recap pod. Hit that, you're going to know everything, and then we're away. Then you can drop off if you like. Don't give a fuck, that's fine two of us just talk shit after that anyways or you know you can stick around and enjoy that it is good banter sometimes but mainly six minutes of high quality facts of what's happened on the weekend yeah i mean i somewhat disagree with this notion like i like it in some ways i don't like it in others because we live in this world of instant gratification where people just want everything on the tips of their fingers all the time. And sometimes patience is a, well, firstly, a virtue. And secondly, it leads to good things. So I'm okay with having a bit of patience and waiting for the good gear to come through. 
Yeah, and I mean, that's what we will reward those who stick around with. There, there will be that little carrot at the end that, you know, this is this is going to be Like what, going on fun. the punt? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was kind of bracing myself for this, but you really kicked me low early here. So <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Let, let's get into this because it is all, all right. about now, speed. Just, and, and just before, on just all. before we go, just before we go on this. So, in honour of there is an Australian rapper out there who's yeah playing it fast and loose with the term rapper here. But three sixty is a guy, so we're going to have a bit of a montage to him. So let's get into it. All right. After a massive, massive off season, we finally have got through a full week of college football, which has been awesome. Uh, first takeaways for me that it kind of looked like football. It was supposed to be football, but there was just something a little wrong with how teams played. It was all good fun, but, uh, you know, just struggled to get out of the blocks really, really well this year. I mean, it had to be expected, though. <laughs> um, it was a bad day for the Big 12, Will. Talk us through it. Yes, so the Sun Belt went out and made the Big 12 its bitch, which uh, would not go down well with those heavy hitters in the Big 12. They like to be seen as a Power 5 program, and some of the results they put up on the weekend were far from power performances. Uh, Kansas State, Kansas, and I'm having a blank here, mate. Who else? Iowa State, all going down uh, to the... Group of five schools, uh, they'd be super disappointed with that. We did expect a bit of uh, turbulence early on in the season, but it seems to have just focused in on the lower half of the Big 12, and it puts a dent in the respect of the overall conference now. Uh, And like, there's only one out-of-conference game, and dropping these ones here will certainly hurt any chance, any slim chance the Big 12 might have had in sending two teams to the to the playoffs. What, two teams? That ain't happening now. Uh, and just on that, Texas Tech almost lost to a school, Houston Baptist, who I can unashamedly say I'd never heard of before I checked <laughs> the score that they got over by two points, but we'll touch on that a little bit later. In general, for college football games this weekend, passing games sucked, especially in the okay to decent matchups. Texas, OU quarterbacks had a field day. But Brock Purdy struggled for Iowa State. Derek King wasn't in sync at Miami. James Blackman struggled at Florida State. Um, a whole bunch of issues with getting the ball on the full from your quarterback's hand to the receiver and that receiver clasping that ball without it then going and hitting the carpet. Uh, that didn't happen that well. Um, there are a lot of big stat lines still. They don't necessarily reflect some of the the poor play that was going on there. Just some communication and connection issues that will be sorted from quarterbacks and receivers. On that, though, just for something totally different, Oklahoma have got a quarterback. Talk us through Spencer Rattler's first gig at QB1. Yes, the assembly line continues to roll down in Norman. So Spencer Rattler looked every bit as good as advertised in his opener. He went 14 of 17 for 290 yards and four touchdowns. And these are the gaudy numbers you we've become accustomed to expect out of uh, out of that Oklahoma program. So it looks like they're not going to miss a beat. The ball just hummed out of his hand. It, it, he has that it factor where he, he just slings it. So he, he's another live one there. Uh, Florida State, not a blue blood anymore. No, yeah, I wanted to throw this one in too. I think that if they hadn't lost that blue blood status previously with the extended run of mediocrity that they've been on, I think losing, what is it, a fifth straight season opener uh, would probably take that away from them now and and they're going to have to work hard to get that one back. Yeah, the uh, Seminoles going down to Georgia Tech in... Well, not embarrassing fashion, but whatever a step up is from embarrassing, uh, you know. Clemson are still really, really good. Trevor Lawrence looked, wow. Uh, If you're a really bad quarterback needy NFL team, Trevor Lawrence is your man. And you know what's going to happen here as well. The New England Patriots are going to put this thing in the toilet this year. They're going to get Trevor Lawrence and then they're going to go on like another... 15-year dynasty with him. Didn't they win week one? Yeah, they did, but Canyon 
<laughs> hurt himself some, something. Yeah, so. I, I mean, to that point, I think the good teams played well. So your Clemson, your Notre Dame, your Oklahoma, your Texas all came out, looked sharp, looked good. Notre unlike Dame some of the others. Sharp. Uh, they looked good enough. I mean, you've got to give Duke a bit of respect. I think they're a better program than what the others faced up against. And they were able to step up and win that fairly convincingly in the end. Mm, I'll have something to say about that later. But that takes us through a 360 look at college football for week number two. So Look if you that. have downloaded the podcast, you can, according to Will and this world of young people and TikTok and, you know, whatever else they do. Instant gratification, yeah. Instant gratification. You guys can get fucked now. And uh, thank you for your download. Please do subscribe to the show. And for those that are continuing on to listen, can you subscribe to the show as well? Please do so on iTunes uh, or on your Apple podcast or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from, please do hit the subscribe button. Leave us a review. You can also catch us on Twitter, Instagram, and now Facebook as well at CFB Down Under. So make sure you do get around us on those particular social media outlets. Yeah, definitely. We'd love you to find the Facebook page, give that one a like, and then start to throw anything college football related feel free to chuck it in there. We'd love to see it. That's what we want to do, chuck up some articles. Just a spot for people in Australia who love the college football game to be able to follow the sport some more. Okay, well, we do have a little bit of somewhat breaking news. So moving on from 360 college football, this is zooming out a fraction and we need to have a look at college football in its entirety. So thanks to Pendulum, we're going to do that right now. So, more opt-outs coming from the Big Ten and Big 12, Will. Uh, We don't really need to get up to speed on those, but there are offensive linemen, cornerbacks dropping out all over the place. What does this mean for the Big Ten and the Pac-12? Is this just then, you know, is the quality of products going to be heaps, heaps worse? I think so. Yeah, I 100% agree with you there. That was always the big concern. As soon as they pushed it back, all of the... NFL caliber talent were going to sit out. They weren't going to play. They weren't going to risk that impact that it was going to have on the preparation for them to set them up for the rest of their lives. And as expected, all the top level players aren't going to be around. So it's super disappointing. Like if it was the whole uh, field had been pushed back and we were losing these players, we'd still be so grateful just to have college football and that second tier we would learn to have heroes in that space but because we've got what we've got now and we're seeing this we're getting a really watered down product to the point that I don't know how much interest it's going to generate kind of after the fact when we're trying to run almost a second season here yeah uh, the ACC has come out and brought forth a, a few constraints or uh, situations whereby they would continue or discontinue play under particular circumstances occurring. So the ACC have said that they need at least eight teams in their whole entire pool or whole entire conference of teams, which currently sit at 15 at the moment. They need just eight of those to be uh, operating and fully functional to warrant continue playing. If it drops below eight teams, they will pull the season. Um, they'll pull the pin there. It's a lot of teams to knock out. Obviously, this is preempting. Should you know COVID really take hold somewhere or within a particular region that teams get completely wiped out? They're still saying that providing you've got eight, you're good to go. Yeah, fingers crossed. We don't have to deal with that, but there's a little bit of leeway for us to play with there in the ACC. Yeah, which is good. Um, the Big Ten have voted, I believe. They did that on Sunday. And they are a go green light for play uh, starting in October, I believe. They're trying to push forward the November start date and they're trying to bring it into October and therefore be eligible for the college football playoff. I don't know how this is going to work. Uh, but the Big Ten has changed course in a hurry and they want to be considered. They're the money-making conference. So there hasn't been anything from the Pac-12 yet on their kind of position for play. They seem like themselves, the Mountain West and other schools and conferences based out West appear to be 
staying strong in their decision to not play in season 2020. But the Big Ten will kick things off or look to kick things off in October. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time going on this and speculating because at the moment they're still trying to figure it out. But when we get a bit more concrete news in this space, we'll certainly touch on that. And then what we think the potential impacts might be. I mean, the fact that they're trying to get in for the the playoff is just crazy. Uh, but as you say, it's, it's all a money-making thing here at the moment. So it'd be good if we can get them in and see something happening. I just am sceptical at this stage. And lastly, Brian Kelly gets an extension at Notre Dame to remain the head football coach through 2024. So that looks like my bold prediction of him being fired by the end of season 2017, 2018. Yeah, it's not looking good. Or It's not getting any better. It's not, getting, it's not aging well, no. So he gets an extension. Your thoughts on him? Does he have a, a ceiling? We talked a lot about Dan Mullen at Florida and his ceiling as a college football coach and the fact that maybe the, the best for him is a SEC championship game and finishing top seven or eight. Brian Kelly starts to feel like he's a little bit in that mold as well. Um, and I'll talk more about that in our recap of Notre Dame and Duke. But uh, there's just something that doesn't feel 100% quite right about him as a guy who's going to take him to the top. Yeah, I disagree. I think he's been a very successful coach there. It's incredibly hard to get that top of the top, you know, and, and to try and hold everyone to that standard uh, and draw a line to think whether they can do it or not is really difficult. I, I think... He certainly could if if things went his way, if if he gets that right recruit at quarterback and things kind of balance out there, that he's got enough going at that program with what he has set up to have them primed for a run at a national championship. And that's what you would ask for. So I can see where they're doing this um, and he will continue to perform well there it'll be interesting to see how they go this year in the ACC although historically they do have it's not as if they have easy schedules they, they do get quite difficult matchups with their big rivalry games that they have on the slate so I, I think this is a good move and uh, I know you're a bit down on them but I think there's still a chance in the ACC this year yeah well, I mean I guess you say their schedule isn't as hard, or kind of inferred that their schedule is not as hard as it was, but they're probably pretty happy that they're not playing any uh, Big 12 teams this year, I think. Like, you know, we, we talk about the ACC being the best conference in America, America's conference, obviously, and, and the Big 12 probably sits just well below, um, you know, the Mountain West right now in terms of their play and what they've turned out so far. It's been really disappointing for them. I think you lost all credibility when you said that the ACC was the best conference in the country. I think the rest of it, you probably fairly spot on, but <laughs> you didn't lead strong. Okay, so that is all the news coming out of college football at the moment. That is everything. So without any further ado, let's get into a some game recaps and this is exciting because we actually get to talk football we get to talk about players we get to talk about plays we get to talk about the moments we don't need to worry about ifs maybes what if it's finally here it's finally done so we get to get into some game recaps so we're going to start with unc that is north carolina at chapel hill played against syracuse yard pickup makes it first out and goal just outside the five Williams left side breaks a tackle into the end zone and now North Carolina starting to open this one up. That was the third of Javante Williams' three last quarter touchdowns and North Carolina get over Syracuse 31 to six. Although that scoreline belies the accuracy of the or the feeling of the game, this, to me this was quite close the whole way through. It was pretty sloppy. North Carolina got out the blocks pretty well. Uh, they scored on their first drive and then went to sleep for long, long periods. A sloppy affair, lots of penalties, mixed tack missed tackles, dropped touchdowns. Both teams had a return for a touchdown call back on penalty. Not the cleanest game, but hey, you've got to win the you've got to win ugly at times, and, and this is one of those games for the Tar Heels. Yeah, it was an ugly game. 10-6 to 6 going into the last. You'd think you'd have an easy cover there when you've got 22 points or whatever it was that we were playing with, but somehow Syracuse just were completely worn down at that point uh, and North Carolina just 
ran rampant in the last and put it away and then it came became a bit of a, a snooze fest. I think what was impressive was North Carolina's defense. As, as poor as Syracuse offense was, there needs to be some credit for the Tar Heel defense there. They kept Tommy DeVito to uh, a piss-poor completion rate. We had 13 of 31 for only 112 yards. He really struggled on the day. Uh, backup quarterback was was called in as well, Rex Culpepper, and he did not fare much better throwing only for the 22 yards and an interception as well. And they couldn't get the ball going on the ground at all. I mean, Tommy DeVito at the quarterback position had 16 carries himself for under two yards per carry. Their uh, main man in the backfield, Juar Jordan, had 14 carries for 26 yards. Those are not fucking good numbers. You are not going to win any football games if you cannot do something better than that on the offensive side. So certainly credit for UNC on the defensive side of the ball there, but big concerns offensively for Syracuse. Yeah, they just really lacked a a playmaker in any way, shape or form. Having said that, I felt at times due to turnovers and field position and things like that, Syracuse was actually on top, particularly offensively. They just got hot at certain moments. And whilst Tommy DeVito was trying to do everything himself, he had a court, he had a uh, touchdown, a wide open touchdown dropped in the end zone. Um, they missed a, a field goal or a couple of field goals. And you just got the impression this game was actually relatively close. They had a couple of really short fields and spent a lot of time in the red zone. They just could not finish any drives. Um, I do want to jump across to Sam Howe because I've been a massive critic of his and I will continue to be that because he has got a big, big arm and he's a pretty good athlete as well. He can move around and if he has to run for a first down, he's comfortable doing that, but he still can't read the field at all. He is a one look, pull the trigger, trust that big arm. He threw a terrible interception to Andre Sisko on that seam route to the tight end and to me, he still wants to throw that contested ball that is is that single read jump ball kind of setup, which to me is not... And, and the commentator said on the day, like, oh, he's watched every throw that Joe Burrow has made. And I'm like, yeah, you're not the same quarterback, though. You're not multi-reading the field. You are just seeing one guy getting locked in and pulling the trigger. He's admittedly got the skill at this level to pull that trigger, is he good? Yes. Is he the second best quarterback in college football? Of some, as some have said, he's not even kind of close. So, still not impressed with Sam Howe. Yeah, with you there, mate. Righto, let's move on. We will head into the first disaster for the Big Twelve. So let's have a look at Archy State and the K State Wildcats. Second and sixteen, Hatcher over the middle. Yeah, Jonathan Adams scores the go-ahead touchdown with 38 ticks on the clock. And Arkansas State hold on to defeat K-State 35-31. to Gee, did the Red Wolves fire every shot in their clip on that games. Uh, to, to close that one out, they had multiple trick plays. They had a, a punter pass a ball and get a pass interference call. They had double reverse passes. It was all happening, and, and they they fired every shot, and they had to, and they did. So a really impressive outing for Arkansas State. Um, your thoughts on a disappointing start for the Kansas State Wildcats? Yeah, I think you've summed it up really well there. I think Arkansas State kind of knew that they had to come at them with the full kit bag and and they did and it worked out for them I mean they had four dudes complete passes across the day Uh, they were running the ball quite well and then what I think they did fantastically well was stop Kansas State's ability to run the ball and I think that's the blueprint to to beat this Kansas State team is to make Skylar Thompson beat you with his arms and he did a respectable job of that yeah I thought Skylar Thompson was good correct he was pretty good he went for over 250 yards he had a couple of touchdowns through the air he didn't uh, turn the ball over there but when it's not supported by a competent run game it needs to be good and great And, and they didn't have that happening on the ground there so Arkansas State ended up 
getting what was a surprise victory in the end, and they would be really thrilled with that, and that will certainly buoy them off uh, after a really good showing in week one against Memphis, um, where they, they ran them close too. So this is looking like a, quite a dangerous program this year, and, and they will have hopes of taking out the Sunbelt Conference for sure. Yeah, I know we talk more and more about the the gap between the haves and the have-nots in college football, but a lot of these, I guess it's consistency and depth that is often the issue with the group of five teams, but they clearly at the top end can go toe-to-toe. I mean, if they get that right game plan, then they it can happen for them. Um, and like you said, K-State wanted to run the ball and play good defense, and neither of those two things happen consistently. So... A bit of a shock down there in Manhattan, Kansas, but I think Kansas State will will bounce back. They're probably taking a step back this year, a fraction. They do lose a bit um, on, on both sides of the ball, but hopefully they can recover from this and be competitive in the Big 12. All right, the next disaster number two for the Big 12, Louisiana and Iowa State. This one, the Raging Cajuns comfortably handle the clones. There, Carrera. To the 40, he's to midfield and in a sprint, and he takes it inside the 30. It's a second kick return for a score for the Raging Cajuns today, and they're raging in Acadiana. Yeah, two kick return touchdowns to give uh, the. the I, I keep wanting to say Louisiana Lafayette. It's not Louisiana Lafayette, but to give the Raging Cajuns. Is it? I think it is. Is it? I don't know. I think it still is. Yeah. Go okay. With it. Just go with Righto. it. Righto. We don't know. Uh, but a, a, a program-defining win. It's their first win against a top 25 team on the road. Uh, they go down to, you know, Matt Campbell's Cyclone team, which he has been getting so much quality discussion around him as a coach and him as a, a play caller and, and, you know, the damage they've done to the Big 12 over the last three years was not evident in any way, shape, or form. Your initial uh, takeaways from this game will before I jump in and talk about Charlie Kohler missing I mean special teams is uh, what one th- one third of the game and that really showed out so they end up walking away with a fairly comfortable 31 to 14 victory here and it, it really is on the back of those two electric returns that they had one punt return one kick return that are absolute difference makers that they're a spark that was enough to get them over the top of Iowa State, and that just kind of wipes a lot of the shine off of them. I mean, you had Brock Purdy with some sleeper Heisman chat. That's gone. You had Matt Campbell <laughs> talked about as, uh, you know, the superstar rising coach set to go to a giant program. This dents that. So mm. it's, a, it's a big result early on, and, and it's a tough one because a, a team that is going through what everyone is going through, you don't know how they're going to react to what you've put in place, to the testing regimes, to the modified training practices. All of this is kind of new for a lot of teams, and and some were certainly going to react better than others. And I think this is a prime case of what we've seen there. Yeah, really, really sluggish. And like you said, Brock Purdy just could not find any rhythm throwing the ball. He can push the ball downfield really, really well. But And like I mentioned earlier, he was missing Charlie Kohler, who was his top target from last year and the tight end missed that particular game but you look at Louisiana and like in lots of ways they didn't have too many rights to win this game as as bad as the Iowa State offense was Louisiana's offense actually got outgained for most of the game they didn't have a lot of offensive yards in fact at one point in the third quarter they had more return yards than offensive yards which is pretty scary but either way, they came in um, and, and they beat Iowa State. And you've got to have a look at the other side of that team is that they had an, an assistant coach die unexpectedly in August. They had a hurricane uh, hit very close to home for them and they had a completely interrupted lead in as everyone does. But there's no way that they were particularly ready, but apparently neither were Iowa State. So... A lot of credit to the coaching staff down there at Louisiana. And they consistently are a good team as well. This isn't a bad team. What they win last year? Nine or ten games, maybe? Um, they were a good team last year, and, and they will continue to be that. So you can't be sleeping on this sunbelt. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, they're, they're looking really good. And their best team, in, in my eyes, App State, uh, wasn't even one of the ones creating this upset. 
No. Um, and they're kind of almost far and away ahead, which actually, and you know, we'll talk about that in the the uh, preview show, but App State have got a really nice matchup coming next weekend. Before we do that, though, of course, we need to head into a few more recap games and Duke fall to Notre Dame. Book steps up, end zone shot for Davis. I know you said that you were pretty uh, impressed by Notre Dame. I thought they came out really, really, really flat. Uh, Notre Dame were outgained by a Duke team in the first half, led by Chase Bryce, the Clemson transfer, who was pretty good, actually. A a more accurate passer than I expected him to be. Now, he was never going to have the offensive line nor the receivers that he was getting at Clemson. Um, but he managed to do just enough to be a bit of a, an offensive threat. He was pretty good on the ground as well. And they were better than I thought they were going to be. I expected Duke to take a step back. I didn't expect them to go into South Bend and keep this game as close for as long as they did. Uh, so Duke are going to be sneaky tough. They're going to catch someone again. And that's what well-coached teams do will do to you. David Cutcliffe is a good coach and and he's going to make life tough for some teams in the future. On the other side, Notre Dame, who at the start of the year definitely have, uh, you know, playoff sites and they always do. That is an annual thing for the Irish and so they should, but they continually come out sloppy and I was critical of Ian Book last year and has his inability to push the ball down the field and that reared its ugly head again on Saturday or Sunday. Um, so a little bit disappointing. The story in this one, of course, has to be, though, Kyron Williams. Yeah, for sure. Kyron Williams. And, and and that's why I'm still quite bullish about this Notre Dame team because he really broke out in a big way. And I think that's how this team is going to win their football games. They have a really solid front five and they have a dynamic running back in Kyron Williams. He carried the ball nigh on 20 times went for over 100 yards and a couple of scores and then also broke a couple of big runs on catches as well. He's a dynamic player out of that backfield there. So Ian Book doesn't have to do it all himself. They are going to be a team that's going to be able to run the ball and then I think there's a step that he can take forward as a passer, as a runner of the ball himself to really make this team a dynamic unit. The other one that I want to call out for Notre Dame was Jeremiah Owosu-Karama. Yeah, uh, and he was. I think we we highlighted him in the preseason as a, as a playmaker, and that showed out. He was flying around the field. He had a big big time sack. He's he's just electric, and he's a fun one to watch. Yeah, and Notre Dame are always well coached on defense as well, and they've always got players. I think that's going to be more of a strength for them this year. But it's again, I I still want to see at some stage. I want Ian Book to take over a game when that he needs him to. I want him to step up when they need him. All right, let's blitz through a couple here. So staying in the Big 12 or jumping back to the Big 12, I should say, Kansas 23 falls to Coastal Carolina 38. Kansas never really in it. This is a winning streak for Coastal Carolina. I think they got them last year as well. So does this mean anything? Kansas, have they taken a step back after a pretty good start last year? They fell away late in the season. Does this mean anything? Is this worrying times for the Jayhawks? Uh, I think that this was expected. Uh, Another one that we talked about in the preseason, Kansas were returning something like six or seven players from last year's squad. Most of their production was gone. It was going to be a very inexperienced team. This is not a good year to not have a great recruiting hotbed of, of players coming in historically and to not have experience they were always going to be up against it still a super disappointing result les miles would expect more from a program that he's the head man at so that's uh it's not what they want to see but not all that shocking in the scheme of some of the other results in the big 12 yeah for sure okay so texas tech i don't really need to talk about houston baptist because I know nothing about them. Apparently, their football program is like super, super new, like younger than 10 years or something. But Texas Tech get by them 35 to 33. The reason I did want to pull this up is that the Houston Baptist quarterback, who I think's name is Zap, uh, threw for 567 yards and four TDs. Now, that does not bode well heading into a conference that, well, 
pretty much sucks for one, but two, they're going to throw the ball a lot. And, um, you know, Texas Tech needed to tighten up. Bailey Zap, 567 yards and four touchdowns. My oh my. <laughs> that is a day against a supposed Power 5 football program. Yeesh. Yeah, rough sled. Uh, West Virginia beat Eastern Kentucky 56-10. to 10. Anything to say on the Mountaineers? Yeah, I mean, representing the Big 12, not getting smoked by a team that they should be much better than. So, <laughs> happy with that. All right, Texas uh, beat up on UTEP 59-3. to 3. Uh, Anything to take out of that one? I do have a funny story aligned to this game. Sort of a funny story, kind of sad, aligned to this game. But was there anything from a gameplay perspective that you like to see either with Sam Ellinger and his ability to distribute the ball or um, defensively for Texas? What did you like? I mean, Sam Ellinger had a phenomenal game here. He went for over 400 yards and five touchdowns. Doesn't matter the level of uh, team that you're coming up against. That, that's what you want to see. That, that's what you want to see with your first game. That's why you have these games normally, to be able to kind of tune up and, and get going. So they'd be thrilled to see that. He's had a, a stomper game there. Didn't have to do it with the legs. Uh, it was all through the air there. That's, it's that dynamic play that we're going to see when he gets into conference play. But that's certainly what his next evolution was, to, to continue to progress as a passer. And it looks like he has. It looks like that... Um, offensive program that they've put in this year with Mike Yursich as the offensive coordinator coming in has has gelled quite nicely and, and he's taken to that so I think we can continue to see some pretty big numbers from him across uh, this this not so powerful Big 12. <laughs> the other note that I did want to mention is that apparently and this is only hearsay which Obviously, we operate on because Truth. we've got no integrity. Uh, but a five-star safety, BJ Foster. Did you hear about this one? Quit the team. Quit the team Done. during the third quarter. Hey, he wasn't getting any starting minutes. He was only playing <laughs> special teams. Yeah. You see these stars next to my name? I got five of them, so I ain't play fucking special teams. I start. I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Is he opted out? Is he going to the NFL now because he's a junior? No, um, he just some... went to the locker room. He, went, <laughs> he just went down six straight. Like, I'm going to go get a beer. I don't need this shit. <laughs> so good. So good. Okay, Oklahoma put up 31 first quarter points before sort of calling off the dogs as they beat Missouri State 48 to nothing. Spencer Rattler had a really, really good game. Tanner Mordecai came in and did a job as well. And at one point, I saw that they were uh, like 18 for 21 and like 300 yards and three touchdowns between the two of them. And I was like, this is gross. We do not need Oklahoma doing this again after having Baker Mayfield followed by Kyler Murray, followed by Jalen Hurts. I was like, you know what? They haven't got a chance for a quarterback. No, they're just going to roll in and start dominating. You uh, you watch the F1s at all? No. No, not a big F1 guy. So there was a, uh, a team... I'm like, You know, I'm a bit of like a weird tree-hugging hippie dude. So like vehicles that spew carbon dioxide, monoxide, and other oxides into the atmosphere for the entertainment and the riches of the few doesn't really excite me too much, no. Yeah, well, and it's a real elitist game, the old uh, F1, oh, which really doesn't doesn't float your boat all that much. Anyways, yeah. there's there's a team, and I swear there is something here. There, there's a team <laughs> that um, has been performing, had been performing quite well uh, this latest season, on the back of the fact that they just straight copied the previous Mercedes car that was super successful. Like they kind of did like analysis of it, had video of it, like looked at all and like, let's just do what they're doing. Like genius, right? So, you know, they, they ended up getting found out and uh, fined or suspended or whatever for, um, for copying because there are laws about what you can and can't do in that space. But it just kind of has me thinking with this Oklahoma offense, can't you just fucking copy it? Surely, <laughs> surely... You can watch the film and be like, we can do this because the numbers are just so fantastic, regardless of who's under center. Just 
just do what they're doing. Do what whatever Lincoln Riley is cooking up. Watch the tape. Do that, and I think you're going to go all right. Copyright law. It, can Lincoln Riley do that? It's like, mm, that looks like my playbook. <laughs> I actually, I that's a slant route that I invented. So, uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, Bill Walsh should be turning in his grave. He's like, mm, I did that first. Anyway, App State thirty-five handle a good Charlotte team who put up twenty points, but App State are getting set for a bigger game this week. Clemson thirty-seven. Beat up Wake Forest 13 in a very one-sided ACC clash. Trevor Lawrence, we've mentioned before, is really good. Uh, We did have a few doubts about him last year. Not doubt. Doubt's not the right word, but we talked about him as like, oh, is he in a sophomore slump? Like, he was a little bit down after that crazy uh, freshman season, and then we're expecting him to just go and walk into, almost walk into the Heisman Trophy, and he probably wasn't that good. He is that good. He has got a massive arm, sees the field. Just watching him throw lasers to the sideline from the far hash, throwing deep out routes or dropping them over second level defenders in front of safeties and just making it look so, so, so easy. Uh, Like even on half rolls and things like that, which are not easy to get your feet around and get that launch point sorted. And he just does it so naturally, so smoothly. Yeah, and what luscious hair he has also. Uh, and the ultimate scary thing about it all is is that he's looked this good since a freshman, right? Like the, the mechanics and all that has always been there. It, it's been really good. You did say, you know, he was a bit flat, but that's because expectations were so sky high that there was nothing he could have done to live up to those. But now he has that experience. He has that confidence. He, he has complete control of what he's doing. And when you have that combination, like I don't think there's anything you can't achieve. So they're going to be incredibly difficult to knock off this year because you're right, he is an out-and-out superstar. Uh, on other aspects of the Clemson football team, uh, the O-line looked pretty good. They looked settled. They just kind of rolled in. They did lose a few from last year, but they held a Wake Forest defensive line that's pretty good, but they kept them completely at bay. I was really looking forward to what the defense was going to do, and do they roll back to that four-down lineman? Um, what have they got at the linebacking position are they going to go with three down and play a nose tackle? Or are they going to play like double wing and play shade the front with three down linemen and play two edge defenders? What are they looking at here? And, and like Brent Venables always does, he goes, he's gone quite multiple um, and they looked really, really good as well. I mean, by the time Wake Forest scored 13 points, I think both Clemson and Wake Forest were probably into their second or third string players at that point. Um, so it's really hard to... to you know, get a look at what that actually means. But their defense is is scary good again. So well done to Brent Venables, which isn't, again, not a surprise. Nothing about this is a surprise. I don't really know what to say anymore because, like, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is really good. Brent Venables can coach defense and Darbo Swinney can recruit footballers and turn them into men. I think to help us out with future recordings, we could just probably get a loop going that you could drop on, yeah. uh, just talking about how good Clemson are and you know what they do well, and then we can just drop that in. We can go grab a beer, come back. Perfect. And, yeah. Rate that. Sweet. Okay, Miami beat UAB 31-17 to behind 337 rushing yards and an increasingly gimmicky defense, um, but Miami handled business with Derek King at the helm for his first game for the Canes. Yeah, you excited? I know you were kind of a little bit nervous halfway through. There was a, a muffed punt early that uh, you just you can't do. Like, fuck me. No, I mean, like, I was at work, so you're only kind of watch like, checking scores in between lessons and stuff like that. So it's, it's really hard to get a feel for how the game is actually going. And after going back and re-watching it, I mean, the Canes just pretty much handed it off on inside zone and, you know, <laughs> ran the zone read game um, until, well, until they blew it open and they just got big run after big run. Uh, and and that, of that 17 points that, that UAB scored, sorry, 17 points? 14 40. points. Good to see I'm up to date with what's happening. Of those, one of them came on that muff punt, so they gave them a really, really short field. And then the other one came really late. And, and 
you know, a lot of people are going to say, oh, you know, it was close in the third quarter and all that sort of stuff. But you actually go back and watch the film. Those UAB linebackers were absolutely knackered um, trying to come up and defend the run in the last quarter. And then Derek King obviously has his escapability and made a couple of real freakish plays that for any, well, outside of two or three other guys, they're probably sacks. And he just has this freakish ability to make guys miss. There's a few concerns, um, as there always is, week one. But we will continue to see how they grow. Um, it should be a good game against Louisville next week. Yeah, I mean, you were texting me across the day with like a little bit of concern, I think. And I, I was kind of sending back, no, nah, there's no issue here. Like yeah. watching the game as I was. That Miami were in control. It wasn't clean, but it was kind of aligned to what you would expect from the first game. Uh, I think I, I, what I really liked was Cameron. Big Cameron, Cameron Harris. Harris. Uh, 17 yeah, yeah. carries, 134 yards. A couple of big runs in there on his uh, touchdowns. He was good. He, he, he was yeah. uh, a big back um, and a bit of wiggle about him. So it, it was fun to watch. And you're right, Derek King continues his streak of uh, running and passing touchdowns. I think he now has it in something like 18 straight games or something <laughs> ridiculous like that. Like it's an FBS record. That's insane to do that yeah. over that period. But uh, now I think it's just kind of like he's – if he's got a keeper or a zone read option and he's already done the passing touchdown, you know he's keeping it. Like he, he's going to run that one in Well, he, just he wants to keep it alive. He rarely kept it. And I know it's a read play, but he rarely kept it. And obviously UAB was certainly um, conscious of his running ability and they forced that handoff all game. And Cameron Harris did have a big game. But Jalen Knight and, and Don Chaney got in the game as well as two freshmen who come in on the back of uh, the best running back tandem from a recruiting class last year. They were they were really good as well and have shown signs. I think Rhett Lashley's kept a lot in his back pocket though. Like they literally probably ran about seven or eight plays for the entire game and they just ran and ran and ran and there was nothing special. They didn't even run power. They ran mostly inside zone. The other funny thing that I did hear, uh, watch in an interview is that UAB played a defense that they had never, ever, ever played before. The Miami coaches were like, They've never put this on film before. We've never seen this, which I think is just absolutely nuts for a coach to just go, you know what? Fuck it. We're just going to run something different. I want to see an offensive coordinator do it. That's it. <laughs> We're running the wishbone this week. <laughs> yeah. Get around it, boys. This should be some fun. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about them a lot in, in the upcoming episodes because they Not do... Not so much. Not so much. UAB not so much or the Canes? Oh. The Canes, I mean, they've got they've got game day, mate. They've got game day, so it's going to Coral Gables. Uh, no, it's actually at Louisville. Oh, on the road, Ooh, big one. On the road, there's not many options next week. Anyway, Florida State fall to Georgia Tech, sixteen thirteen. Um, this is a team who threw the ball past the line of scrimmage thirty four times. Thirty four, thirty four. That's a lot. For a Georgia Tech team, uh, I think the most since like two thousand and four or five. That or was what was quoted in the sh- yeah the, the in the broadcast. I was shocked at that, and that's incredible. And Jeff Sims was good. I mean, he threw a couple of yeah. stinker picks, but apart from that, I, I thought he was good fun to watch. Yeah, and of course, this came up in the broadcast a lot as well. Is the fact that uh, he was a former Florida State commit, and when Mike Norvell came on board, he sort of said thanks, but no thanks. We don't want you. He then committed to Georgia Tech uh, and then goes and leads them to a win over Florida State. Georgia Tech probably should have won by more. They had two field goals blocked and an extra point blocked as well, so they need to tidy up on special teams. I mean, there's only so much Marvin Wilson can do for that Florida State team. (laughs) He was a monster in the middle there, and like he's directly responsible for a lot of that penetration that leads to the block kicks there. He is a huge man who has a big... Big, big future ahead of him. But then, the, what were they, 13 nil up? And then to drop that? Come on. Yeah, I mean, a lot of issues in that passing game. James Blackman threw a lot of balls into the dirt. He didn't throw at a good clip. His percentage was way down. His accuracy is way down. And they're possibly in for a rough season here, Florida State. And it's, you know, you never like to see these old school powers have back-to-back-to-back-to-back disappointing years. And... Uh, I did mention a few years ago, I'm going to just like pump myself up here, just have a little brag. Be careful what you wish wish for when you get rid of Jimbo Fisher. 
because he is a pretty good coach. He had them in a good spot. He was a good recruiter. Everyone wanted to move on, but the devil you know is better the one than the devil you don't or whatever that saying is. I almost got that out clean. And, and they've now rolled into a bad season under Willie Taggart, followed by not a great start by Mike Norvell, both on and off the field. So ooh, Florida State, hopefully they can turn this around for their sake and their fans' sake. Absolutely. A uh, couple of others before we push on. The Campbell Fighting Camels. You camels were two point a two point conversion away from beating Georgia Southern. They marched down the field and uh, went after the two point conversion. Probably should have kicked the extra point because they ended up deep, um, but couldn't get it done. Threw it into the dirt and it was game over. But however, 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 Georgia Southern beat Tennessee last year. So, if so facto, that makes Campbell fighting camels better than Tennessee, just by the point differential. Which, which is still means, not that great, I don't think. Which means that the Campbell fighting camels should put their hand up if a, during conference realignment, if the SEC decides to add some extra teams, you know that Campbell are better than Tennessee. That's all I'm saying. It's definitely Samford going in there, isn't it? Are they the team that always get tuned up by all the Alabama teams? Yeah, they just get... Yeah, or Chattanooga. Chattanooga yeah, there's, there's a couple creamed. that they like just really <laughs> whooping on. Yeah, but they take their 300000 or $1.8 million or whatever they get given for that. Louisville had some troubles early. I actually... I, I'm, I'm big on Louisville. I'm, I like Mikhail Cunningham. Uh, their defense looked impressive at times, but they were scrappy and sloppy early. Uh, had some issues in special teams, but they get out with a win against a pretty good Western Kentucky team led by John Haggerty, an Australian punter who had a really good game. Army got a win. UTSA get a win in a really entertaining one against Texas State. South Florida, Tulane and Pitt also had wins of varying size and relevance. Anything about any of those that you would like to address no with. sir let's keep this let's keep this show rolling okay aussies in action let's take us through how the aussie boys went this weekend yes okay so we had over a, a dozen aussies playing this weekend which was awesome to see and some really really good results so we had seamus o'kelly uh punting he had seven at uh 44 and a half average which is super impressive there Kirk Christodoulou out at Pitt uh, in their shortened game. Uh, they had the mercy rule turned on because they were yeah, just winning by good. too much, oh, which is crazy. You, lo- you love that as well from a betting perspective. Did you hear yeah, that? Yeah, I did see that bad beat that um, the, they, Vegas didn't pay out because it didn't qualify for a long enough game on the on the uh, cover there. So, so for those people who don't know, let's talk us through this. So Pitt and I can't even remember who they played. Someone, Someone who, you know, they led the whole way up, 42 nothing at the half, and the coaches got together and were just like, hey. Austin Pay. Oh, Austin P, wasn't it? Yeah. Hey, we're just going to roll 10-minute quarters, please, for the rest of the game. Um, and they were like, yep, sure, let's kind of roll the mercy rule, which they did, which takes the game to 50 minutes. For a game to qualify in Vegas's books, it needs to go for at least 55 before they'll start paying out. So despite the fact that the game actually finished, people that had pit to cover, which they did comfortably, uh, didn't see their return on that little investment. So Ouch, ouch. Yeah. Stings. But uh, Kurt Christodoulou was impressive nonetheless. He had only the three punts, but an average of 49.3 with a long of 59. So he's, he's absolutely whacked one <laughs> there. Uh, Alex Mastromano did his bit for Florida State. Looks like he might get a bit of work. He only had the three punts, but an average of 48.3. I think that's his debut there as well. So that's a massive result there. You'd be happy with that. Disappointed with the result, but personally, he can pat himself on the back. Uh, John Haggerty at Western Kentucky had five punts at uh, 46.2 yards, which is a really, really healthy clip. Uh, your boy, Louis Headley at Miami had a really good game. Six punts, 47 and a half. You've got some other stats around what else he did impressive. Yeah, zero return yards, uh, So, which is always good. 
Uh, zero touchbacks, which is always a good one by a punter. You, know, you want to be able to pin those guys deep. You don't want to be kicking it into the end zone. So that's a good one. And he had two that were pinned inside the 20 as well. So a good yeah. day out for Lou. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- really impressive, especially when you're averaging 47 and a half too. Yeah. Like sometimes that can kind of jam you up a little bit when you've got short fields to work with. But he's done a really good job there. And my Aussie of the week this week was big Lucas Dean, who had uh, eight punts, an average of 47.8. So that's that's busy, right? That's a, that's a lot of work. And he's almost sending it 50 yards on every occasion. So super impressed with that effort. And he walks away with our first, whatever we're calling this award. Nailed it, mate. Good to see you've thought your way through that one. Um, Just for those people that are new to the punting game, I don't know why you would be, but just over in this uh, punter's corner that we're in at the moment, what is a good distance? What did the winners put up last year off the top of your head? What kind of numbers are we looking at that equal good punting game? I think uh, Max Duffy, who took out the award last year, was operating in the high 40s on average, I think. And that was across the entire season. So obviously there's a few variables there. But any, anywhere in that high 40s range is excellent. I think when Braden Mann won it, he was over 50 a yeah, he was he was whacking that ball. Yeah, and Dixon as well, I reckon, when he won it at Texas, was up over that. Anyway, we don't need to get bogged down with punting stats too far. All right, that looks at the Aussies in action. Always good to keep track of them. Uh, we do want to give you something else to talk about. Normally, we'd drop a whole heap of stats in here, and we're sort of going to do that a little bit, but it's going to look a little bit different because YouTube is your friend here. If you missed college football for the week and you're like, you know what, I've got kids, I've got work, I've got whatever, but I can get one extra game in. You know, I watched my favorite team, the Baylor Bears, Sikkim, go and, you know, play, but I've got time to revisit one game. This is a chance for you to hit rewind and allows you to take our recommendations, go back and have a look at some players and plays that are worth looking at. So the first one for me is if you've got time, have a look at the Arkansas-Kansas State game. Uh, Quick question on that. Why is Arkansas spelled Arkansas, but Kansas is Kansas? Why isn't it Arkansas or Kansas? I, I mean, you, you, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, what's the Arkansas... Uh, Kansas State game Jonathan Adams who we heard his clip and his last touchdown catch but he was absolutely unstoppable for the Red Wolves if you aren't going to watch for the trick plays watch for him 8 receptions 98 yards 3 TDs including the game winner he was absolutely fantastic a really impressive outing by him and looks like a next level receiver as well uh, in terms of size and ability uh, he was a really, really good piece. So if you get a chance, go back and watch that game. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a few others that I think if you're uh, having a peruse that are worth checking out. So Asante Samuel Jr. So that name may ring a bell for a lot of you NFL fans out there. He was obviously a very productive uh, cornerback in the NFL for quite some time. His son now, Asante Samuel Jr., had two uh, good interceptions for Florida State. Not enough to get the job done for them, unfortunately. Probably could have hit a cut uh, on some of those returns and taken it to the house. He got jammed up a little bit there, but he was certainly really, really good and, and someone to keep an eye on. So go back and have a look at that. And then a few of the other names that I think we mentioned before. Uh, the Miami game, Derek King and Cameron Harris, certainly worth a, a watch there. Sam Ellinger's performance at Texas, if you can watch the highlights of that, just to see, is this guy legit? For, uh, like, is he a, a potential Heisman candidate? I think he's, he's certainly in that, uh, that league there. And then Kyron Williams as well, in, um, out at Notre Dame. We mentioned him. He's going to be a playmaker. Get to know him early uh, because he certainly could be exciting this year. Yep, and he had a couple of TDs to go along with his 100-plus yards. So thank you for that. Now we're going to look at the absolute fantastic uh, weekend that was from a punting perspective. So I'm not even going to give you the clip this week, Will, because you don't deserve it, but let's go on the punt and find out just how well you did. 
Oh, yeah. I was hoping we could just end the show without this. This this is a new low. And (laughs) there's only so many times you can say this. Yeah, I'll I'll wear it. Whatever (laughs) hilarious clips you've got, I deserve to wear because I've put our entire kitty on the line uh, for week one. And I like how you've said, like, this is a new low. It's a new low almost weekly for you at this point. On Exactly right. And it's, it's, it, it, that doesn't make it any better. Like, I, I've hit rock bottom and somehow found a fucking way to keep digging. Like, my shovel seems to be more impressive than the, the bottom of the pits that I'm finding myself in. So... Oh, it's all up from you, though. Talk us through it. Talk us through it. It's all up here. All right. So the first one was Syracuse over UNC, right? I had 22 points. I'm watching this game not all that closely because it wasn't all that much fun. Scores 10 to 6 going in the last. Yeah. Sweet. Money in the bank. I'd already, and maybe this is where I've gone wrong. I've, I've started looking at the other results going, all right, I can bank this one up. What happens if I multi in the two of them? What, what's the result there? No, you Fucking, didn't. Before I before I can flick back over, which had been all of seven minutes, the cover was gone. They're up thirty one six. Seven fucking minutes. They've blown that one to pieces. So I don't know, that's a bad bait. That hurts. Um, but I guess you risk that when you gamble on garbage teams. Uh Notre Dame over garbage teams, you must have gone the big twelve at some point. Oh, I did, yeah. So <laughs> Back in winners in the Big 12 is not a, a sound, sound strategy to start this year. And if you did, there are a couple safe bets you could have gone after. And Kansas State was not fucking one of them. <laughs> Jesus. So I had 10.5 points over Arkansas State. And, I mean, play some fucking special teams. Jesus. Kick the ball out of bounds. Take the penalty. Watch the double part. Like, it, it's gimmicks. Get to the... Ugh, get some... Pre- it's making me angry. It is making me angry. Because not only not only did they not cover, but they lost. And and they should have. So, that's that one hurts. i got to wear that one. That's a kick in the teeth. And then Notre Dame should have been the easy one, right? Cover that 19 points with Duke. And they just... <laughs> weren't really close. No, if not I really. Think, they scored late I... <laughs> to kind of make it look better than it is. Like they, they weren't ever in doubt of losing it, but they weren't ever in doubt of covering that either. We need so. to do more video uh, episodes because this is just good gear watching your facial expression talk oh, about It's, it's genuine pain. It is genuine pain on this face here. So uh, <sighs> I th- I'm... I'm throwing caution to the wind. We're, we're, we're coming up with a new strategy for the... Uh, I've heard this before as well. It's all the same shit. It's just like battered wife syndrome. <laughs> it is a little bit, isn't it? I dead set. And I am the wife in this scenario and gambling. Oh, yeah. Like the gambler is wearing a wife beater. He's got beer stains on the front of it. He's got a little gut. He's got like briefs uh. on. Boxer briefs. That's it. And I'm kind of cowering in the corner, looking over at my kids like, no, it's okay. Oh, God. Yeah. Gambler got you good. He, he has. But oh. it's week one. Plenty of time to make it back. <laughs> it's actually week two. so uh, And we never know when COVID's going to hit. So this could be an all-time low. Here. <laughs> so what are you? Minus 10 units. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Where did we finish last year? Let's not go, let's not rehash history. <laughs> we're a forward-facing face, show here, so we're we're just going to focus on what's out of us. Okay, so there is ten thousand dollars, a hundred dollars, something is down the tube. So uh, hopefully, Will can bounce back. But I I enjoyed that thoroughly. So thank you for that chuckle, Will. Uh, All right, that brings us to the end of our week two recap show. Thank you for joining us again. Like I mentioned earlier, make sure you do hit us up on social media uh, at our various sites at CFB Down Under, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Um, Make sure you do hit subscribe, leave us a review, get in touch and have a chat. I know that we're going to be without Will for a little bit here over the weekend. 
Um, with grand final coming up, you'll obviously be a hot, hot mess on Here's hoping. Sunday. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. You have no hamstrings left. Just everything from the waist down will be gone. So be it. <laughs> All right. On behalf of that guy over there, Will Murden. My name's Aaron Kemp, and we will see you next time.